0: this story has different traditions, but one of the traditions goes like this. It was in the middle of the 1800s in a village in northeast India in a province of Assam. There was a man there who was part of this tribal village when missionaries came in from England. These missionaries shared the love of Jesus Christ, the people in the village, and this man trusted in Jesus Christ along with his family and he was so confident of his newfound faith that he was willing to risk it all and he had to do just that not long afterward when the chief of the village told him that he should renounce his faith in Jesus Christ to which the man said, I have decided to follow Jesus. The man, the the chief, proceeded to threaten his life and and threaten his family, his wife and children. And the man said, though none go with me, still I will follow him. And as the tradition says, as the man himself was being executed, he's saying to himself, the cross before me, the world behind me. And these words have been compiled, depending on where the tradition exactly came from in India, to form the song, says, I have decided to follow Jesus, no turning back, no turning back. It's a kind of mindset that men and women for generations have had. When they look at God, they say, God, I believe in you, and I'm all in. I'm all in, all of me. Those are the words that people like Jim Elliott and his four friends spoke when they were martyred in Ecuador by the Alca people. On October 28th, 1949, Jim Elliot wrote this in his journal. He said, He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. What we cannot keep are the things of this life and the things we cannot lose is eternity with God. And by stating this, he's saying, So give give God all you have. There's nothing you have that you can't give to God that it's all going to die here, but you'll gain eternity. The same kind of commitment shared by many and the kind of commitment God is calling you to share. And the question for you today is, do you believe in God? Do you believe in Jesus Christ? And are you all in? Are you all in, ready to put your life on the line? To put your reputation on? on the line, to put your acceptance and your family on the line, your job, your comfort, your finances. Are you willing to put it all on the line and say, Jesus, I believe in you, I'm all in. And we know how things we try to keep close to us and we're, we're afraid to hand them over to God, our futures. It's, it's scary to say, God, I'm, I'm trusting you with my entire future. It's scary to say, God, I'm trusting you with my money, with my relationships, with my addictions. God, I'm trusting you with everything. Help me, God. And the person who says, God, I'm all in, is a person who possesses courageous faith. The kind of faith God is calling you to possess today. The kind of faith we'll read about in our story today from Joshua Chapter 2. Will you turn your Bibles to Joshua, the book of Joshua, chapter 2. It's the sixth book of the Bible, second chapter. And here we're going to see a story of an unlikely hero. A woman by the name of Rahab. A woman who possessed courageous faith. And by her actions, she shouted at the top of her lungs, God, I believe in you, I'm all in. An unlikely hero in this story and an example for you and I to see what it's like to have courageous faith. Because we all know we're we're, we're frail, we're weak. I know there's times when my faith is weak and I need God to strengthen me. And He uses the examples of people like Rahab to show me and to show you what it's like to say I'm all in. So let's open our Bibles to Joshua chapter 2. And before we get into our passage for today, I want to recap what we covered last week. See, the book of Joshua is about God's people ready to enter the promised land. Moses, the great prophet, the great leader in Israel had died. God rose up Joshua and he told Joshua, be strong and courageous because there are reasons for you to fear. There are reasons to be troubled. But I'm telling you, be strong and courageous. I'm taking you into the promised land even though the people who live there will fight you. But God says, I'll protect you. I give you my promise, I give you my presence, I am with you. And so here in chapter 2, Joshua gets ready to act out in faith. He told the people in the end of chapter 1, get ready to go into the land. And in chapter 2, verse 1, we see his strategy. This is what the Bible says. It says, and Joshua the son of Nun sent two men secretly from Shittim as spies, saying, go view the land, especially Jericho. And they went and came into the house of a prostitute whose name was Rahab, and they lodged there. He takes two spies, and I, I love spy movies, so this is kind of fascinating to me. You think of like Jason Bourne or Mission Impossible, and they send these two people into foreign territory to, to, to get into their ranks and try to get some, some knowledge that will help them as they go into the land. And Joshua sends out these two spies. Now some people have thought of Joshua's actions here and said, is this showing faith? You know, God told Joshua, I'm going to give you the land, so why are you sending spies to to check it out? It's a valid question, but it's not a question that properly recognizes Joshua's convictions here. You see, nowhere does God tell us that His promises lead us to inaction. When God promises things to us, He calls us to be faithful in acting. So Joshua, as a faithful general, who's being strong and courageous, trusting God, is being actual, res, actually responsible here. He's saying, God promised us the land, so now let us see how we're going to go and take it over. Let me get some spies together and send them out. I think sometimes in our Christian uh, circles, we, we tend to think that uh, we can say, "Well, God, I'm waiting for God to do something, and that, that's an excuse for inaction. And and God wants us to be active, actively praying, actively seeking, actively trying to understand what He is doing and walking by faith. And that's what Joshua is doing here. So He sends out these two spies and He gives them directions. Go view the land. And He narrows the directions. He says, especially Jericho. See, Jericho was a great walled city. Tens of thousands of people in there. And it was... It was on the road towards the western part of the land into the hill countries. And if an army would come in and take over the hill country, they would have, they would be able to, um, uh, be able to attack the people easier because they have the height advantage in the hills. So Jericho was there to protect the pathway. It was a great city. And Joshua sent out spies. Go check it out. And then we have a, a slight twist in the story right from the start. There in verse one, They enter the city, and where do they wind up? In the house of a prostitute named Rahab. We're not told much about the prostitute other than the fact that her name is Rahab. Verse 15 tells us that she lived in the walls of the city. The city walls were wide, and it could have apartments there. and She lived in one of those apartments along the wall. We don't know exactly how old she was, but we know she was old enough to have children, because we'll find that out later in her life. Beyond that, we don't know. We don't know the circumstances surrounding why she became a prostitute. We don't know about the victimization that led her to this path. We don't know if she's still practicing as a prostitute. Maybe that was a thing of the past, but now she had that name as a reputation. We don't know. We're not given those details because the story's not about her prostitution, but as we'll see, it's about her faith. Now, I'm the kind of person, when I read the Bible, I just drill it with questions. I interrogate the text. And I ask the questions, why do the spies end up in a house of a prostitute? Is that obvious? I'm asking the question. And we're not given a direct answer. But we are given some, some ideas here. Naturally, we think two men, a foreign city, a prostitute, hmm. Well, the story tells us that they entered the house of the prostitute. Not that they entered the prostitute, as the Bible tends to say things when it implies sexual relations. It seems that the, the, the narrator here is trying to stress that nothing fishy was going on here. They came to her house. Why did they come to her house? Well, perhaps because she lived in a wall of the city. Perhaps as they entered the city, it was one of the places they saw first. Perhaps they thought it it provides an easy escape route should we get found out. Perhaps they thought two men entering a prostitute's house, no one will think anything of it. They won't catch on to us. But what we know is this. There was probably one person in the entire city of Jericho. One person among tens of thousands who would have took them in her home and protected them. And God in his providence brought these men to that woman, Rahab, an unlikely hero, a prostitute. And what we see here is the plot and the tension of the story begins to thicken In verse 2, look what the Bible says. And it was told to the king of Jericho, Behold, men of Israel came, uh, have come here tonight to search out the land. Then the king of Jericho sent to Rahab saying, Bring out the men. Now I, I can't help but pause here. These are spies. And it appears that the moment you walked in, you were found out. Not so good as spies. I mean really, tonight men enter the city and they're from Israel. Could you have been a little more elusive? But whatever the reason was, they were found out seemingly instantly. And so the king, he sends his guards to Rahab's house. And the guards tell her, Behold, men of Israel have come here tonight, to search out the land. And they tell her, Bring out the men who have come to you, who entered your house, for they have come to search out the land. Go get the men. We know about them. Bring them to us. Of course would have a reason to think that Rahab would do that. What does she have to gain by not turning the men over? These are spies from a nation that's ready to come destroy them? Surely Rahab would just hand over the spies. Plus, having a reputation of a prostitute, she could have thought to herself, maybe I can bolster my reputation with the king by handing them over. My name is tarnished and maybe, maybe they'll see me differently. She could have thought those things. But here the greatest tension of the story takes place. Rahab does the seemingly unthinkable thing. She hides the spies, she lies about her hiding them, and she sends the guards away in the wrong direction. Look at verse 4. But the woman had taken the two men and hidden them. And she said, true, the men came to me, but I did not know where they were from. And when the gate was about to be closed at dark, the men went out. I do not know where the men went. Pursue them quickly, for you will overtake them. And then verse 6, But she had brought them up to the roof and hid them with the stalks of flax that she laid in order on the roof. She's being deceitful. She's protecting the spies. Why would she do that? Why would, she, why would she lie, hide them, and send the guards off in the wrong direction? And I get thinking, what if the guards told Rahab, Okay, we'll go pursue them, but let's look around your house first. What would have happened? But then again, why would the guards do that? You know, there's an ancient law code called the Law of Hammurabi. And it says that if a woman, if a prostitute is found harboring a felon in her house, then that is punishable by death. And that kind of law code was common. In essence, it's treason. She's hiding spies who are coming to conquer the land. So of course the guards would think, there's no, re- no reason, no way the woman would do this. So in verse 7 we find out, So the men pursued after them on the way to the Jordan, as far as the fords, and the gate was shut as soon as the pursuers had gone out. They believed her, and they left. And I bet you when that door closed, she took a big sigh of relief. Now before we go on in the story, I I wanted to address a looming moral question here. Was Rahab wrong to lie? Was it wrong for her to lie? Or is it ever acceptable to lie under life-threatening and dangerous extreme circumstances? And truthfully, this is not an easy question to answer. And I've drawn help by different people for this, so these aren't all my own thoughts. But this week, these are some options that people have thought about when it comes to dishonesty. Because these are questions we're faced with question that some Germans were faced with in the Holocaust when they were hiding Jews were they wrong to say no we haven't seen any some say well we must choose the greater good in a circumstance so in Rahab's situation the the greater good was to protect the spies than to tell the truth some people say we'll choose the lesser evil so it's less evil to lie than it is to hand them over to death and then some other people say, it's never okay to lie. She should have told the truth and leave the results up to God. Not easy. This we do know. The Bible condemns lying. Ephesians 4.25 says, Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor. Colossians 3.9 says, Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices. Proverbs 19.9 says, A false witness will not go unpunished, and he who breathes out lies will perish. And there are scores of other passages in the Bible that tell us that to be dishonest is wrong. And then we have Rahab, who lied. And actually in Exodus chapter 1, we have the story of of midwives who lied. In Exodus 1, the Pharaoh had told these midwives to kill off the, the sons that were born to Jewish women. And these midwives, it says, because they feared God, chose to save the boys and tell the Pharaoh that the women had given birth before they showed up. Here, Rahab lies in order to protect the spies. In Hebrews chapter 11, verse 31, it's the hall of faith, Rahab shows up in there. And the writer to the Hebrews says, By faith, Rahab the prostitute did not perish with those who were disobedient, because she had given a friendly welcome to the spies. So Rahab's actions wind her up in the hall of faith. So some things we need to note here. Rahab is praised for her actions towards the spies and her actions toward the guards is not addressed. So her lying is never condemned nor is it ever condoned. And so these things are clear. The Bible says we're not supposed to lie. The Bible never condones lying. And yet, women of faith, people of faith, under extreme life-threatening circumstances, have chosen to avert evil by concealing truth. And this we find in the Scriptures. It's not a yes or no answer, but it's saying what we see. And this is reason for pleading for God for wisdom. Rahab is said to be a woman of faith. And the DNA of her faith is about to be explained in this story. As we look to verse 8, we see this. She says, Before the men laid down asleep on the roof, the guards were gone, they went out chasing them, the guys were on the roof hiding under the stalks. She comes up to them, and verse 9, And said to the men, I know that the Lord has given you the land and that the fear of you has fallen upon us, and that all the inhabitants of the land melt away before you. That's a striking word. But they melt away. The same kind of word used when when wax is melted under heat. The hearts of the people of Jericho and of the land melted away. Now, the choice of words is extremely significant. Because in Deuteronomy chapter 1, when Israel sent out 12 spies into the land, when Moses was still alive, and they came back with a bad report, it says that their report caused the people of Israel's hearts to melt away. And now God was melting the enemy's heart. And then she explains why their hearts were melting away. Verse 10, For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea before you when you came out of Egypt. We heard about Him parting the Red Sea. And we heard what you did to the two kings of the Amorites, who were beyond the Jordan, to Sihon and Og, whom you devoted to destruction. Verse 11, And as soon as we heard it, our hearts melted. Again she says it. And there was no spirit left in any man because of you. For the Lord your God is God in the heavens above and on the earth beneath. And look at the way she tells this story here. She begins by stating... And recognizing that God was going to give the land. And then she says how their hearts are melting away because of it. And that they had heard about God's power. And then she says, we heard about God's power. And our hearts are melting away. And then she confesses God's power. And right in the middle of her story, she talks about how they had heard. They heard about God's might. All the people in the land of Jericho heard about the power of God. And only Rahab response. Look what she says of God. In verse 11, for the Lord, your God, he is God in the heavens above and on the earth beneath. Rahab heard about God. She believed in God and then she acted upon her belief by hiding the spies. This is a woman with courageous faith who's saying, God, I heard of you. God, I believe in you. God, I'm all in. I'm putting my neck on the line. She's not saying, God, I'll I'll try you out for a little while here. I'll try you out for a couple days and see how things work out for me. She doesn't say, God, if my life gets better, then I'll live for you. She says, he is God. And she hid the spies as a response, not knowing the outcome for her. This is courageous faith, brothers and sisters. This is an unlikely hero in this story. And then she asks them for a sure sign as a guarantee. She tells, she tells them in verse 12, Now then, please, please swear to me by the Lord that as I have dealt kindly with you, you also will deal kindly with my father's house and give me a sure sign of this. Please guarantee me that I will be safe. That you will reward my actions. And the men tell her in verse 14, our life for yours, we'll watch out for you. We'll do this. And that's all Rahab needed to hear. And she proceeded to let them down by a scarred cord from the window. In verse 15, then she let them down by a rope through the window for her house was built into the city wall so that she lived in the wall. And she said to them, go into the hills or the pursuers will encounter you and hide there three days until the pursuers have returned. Then afterward, you may go your way. And then Ahmed said to her in verse 17, we will be guiltless with respect to this oath of yours that you have... Made a swear. Basically, they're saying this. We're going to keep our end of the bargain and we'll be guiltless if you break it. And then they give, their, they give her three criteria. You've got to uphold these things. The first one they tell her, Behold, uh, verse 18, Behold, when you come into the land, you shall tie, tie the scarlet cord in the window through which you let us down and gather the people of your family into the house. So tie the cord. Tie the cord so we know where you are. Verse 19, Then, if anyone goes out from the doors of your house into the streets, his blood shall be on his own head. So tie the cord, and if anybody leaves that room, and they die, that's on them, that's not on us. And in verse 20, the last one, he says this, But if you tell this business of ours, then we shall be guiltless with respect to your oath that you have made a swear. So if you let anybody know about this, then it's on you. And here Rahab A courageous woman of faith in verse 21 says, According to your words, so be it. Then she sent them away and they departed. And she tied the scarlet cord in the window. Just think about this woman's courage. Where does that come from? Where does that come from? It's remarkable. The story concludes that the spies go back to Joshua. And they give him this report in verse 24. Truly the Lord has given us all the land into into our hands. And also the inhabitants of the land melt away because of us. The third time the phrase shows up, Joshua could be comforted knowing that as God said he'd give him the land, he's doing that work already. The spies confirmed the people in the land are shaking in their boots. It's a great story of God's faithfulness. And an unlikely hero in the midst of it. Now, as we look at Rahab and her courageous faith, I want us to go back through this now and see three things that her example teaches us. And there are three P's involved here. This story proves, it persuades, and it points. It proves, it persuades, and it points. The first thing this story of Rahab does, it proves to us that nobody is beyond the reach of God. Nobody is beyond God's saving grasp. Here is a woman, despised in her culture, known as a prostitute, who becomes the hero in this story and exemplifies the kind of faith that God tells Joshua to have in chapter 1. She is strong and courageous. That's an unlikely hero because nobody is beyond God's grasp. And I know there are some of us, even here today, who often feel like we are beyond God's grasp. You might even feel like you are unredeemable. It might be for various reasons. You might know in your mind that God is a good God and He forgives us when we repent of our sin. But in your heart, you feel like you are beyond God's grace. For whatever it might be. Maybe something in your past that you hold on to and you won't accept the fact that God is ready to forgive. Maybe it's something you did as recent as last night or the night before. And you feel awful. And you feel like you're beyond God's love. And yes, God is a just God. He's faithful to discipline, but He's faithful in His love and faithful in His forgiveness. You are not unredeemable. Your marriage is not unredeemable. Your purity is not unredeemable. God can make all things new according to His mercy and He does it with Rahab. Not only does He put faith in her, but He gives her courage. And God could do the same things in your life if you would just accept His forgiveness. Sometimes our past choices present present grief and lead to future hopelessness. But God, when He died, he covered our sin, past, present, and future. And He's calling you to believe Him. But not just believe in your mind, but as Rahab did, act upon it. And walk by faith. Believe in God. You're not unredeemable. And there's nobody out there who's not reachable. You might have friends and family members that you've been praying for, trying to share your faith with. And it's been like talking to a brick wall. There's been no inroads, no success. And you fear in your hearts that, they're, that they will never hear the gospel. They will never trust in Jesus. That they will always reject eternal life. And by doing so, receive eternal death in hell. Do not lose heart. Because I know that some of you here today were lumped into that category of unreachable. And God grabs you. And if your childhood friends saw you here today, they would say, What are you doing here? Can I get an amen? And then you could say, No one's unreachable. So I plead with you, brother and sister. Don't give up on anybody. This story proves that no one is beyond God's reach, and He can create courageous faith and transform the life of any person. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 18. It's in part of the the armor of God section. It says this, that we are to be praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance. Don't give up in prayer. Persevere in prayer. Because nobody's unredeemable. Not you. Nobody. Not the person you know. Not your neighbor. Not your family member, not your husband, not your wife, not your children. Nobody is beyond the power of God. So plead with God that He would soften their heart and then do your part, not just in prayer, but in opening your mouth. And that takes us to our second P. The story proves that God can transform any life, but it also persuades us to open our mouths. It persuades us. If you notice, how did Rahab become a woman of faith. Well, she says it in verses 10 and 11. For we heard how the Lord dried up the waters of the Red Sea. In verse 11, as soon as we heard about this, they heard of God's power. And then she believed in what she heard and believed in faith. God is calling you and I to make known His mighty works to people who don't know about Him. Because how will they come to Him unless they hear? And how will they hear unless you speak? Romans 10, 9-15 says, Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says, everyone who believes in Him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction, again, there's nobody beyond God's grasp, between Jews and Greeks. For the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing His riches on all who call on Him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And then Paul writes this in Romans ten fourteen: How then will they call on Him In whom they have not believed. And how are they to believe in Him of whom they've never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. You got beautiful feet? Because God is sending you. How will people hear unless someone? How will how they? Uh, how will be preached unless someone sent? We well, hear by application. God is sending you, because somebody told somebody who told somebody who told Rahab that God parted the Red Sea. That same somebody told Rahab how God defeated these other kings, and somebody's going to tell somebody about Jesus, and that somebody's got to be you. It's got to be you. Psalm 105, verses 1-5 through says, Oh, give thanks to the Lord. Call upon His name. Make known His deeds among peoples. Sing to Him. Sing praises to Him. Tell of all His wondrous works. Tell of them. Glory in His holy name. Let the hearts of those who seek the Lord rejoice. Seek the Lord and His strength. Seek His presence continually. Remember the wondrous works that He has done. You've got to remember what God has done. Tell people what God has done for you. Open your mouth to how God has answered your prayers. I've heard of answered prayers from this body here. And it encourages me. Go tell somebody. Tell somebody about the God that you serve. How He's come through for you. How He's restored your marriage. How He put your sin into light in order to bring you under discipline and restore you back to fellowship with Him. Tell somebody. Tell someone of how God has sustained you during the desert times. Tell someone how even though you pleaded with God and the prayers weren't answered the way you wanted, but how He he stood with you through the storm. When we keep our mouths silent, we withhold opportunity, opportunity to exalt the name of God and let people hear of His might. And sometimes we keep silent because we're afraid of being labeled a fanatic. But don't be afraid. There have been other Jesus freaks throughout the scriptures and history Sometimes we're afraid that someone's going to ask us a question and you're not going to have an answer. And that's okay. It's okay to not have an answer. But what you do have an answer for is how God changed you. Tell someone. Sometimes our lives are so busy that we don't stop for a moment to talk to people. We don't don't sense the urgency that Rahab sensed. She knew destruction was coming. And that's the kind of urgency we need to carry Jesus will return. God will execute judgment on the wicked. Feel that urgency. And don't keep silent. Sometimes we keep silent because we truly, deep down inside, we have a hard time reconciling God's goodness with our own life's experience. Sometimes we say, God, I know you're good, but I've prayed for this, for this, for this, for this, and for that. And I just, it hasn't happened. And sometimes those kinds of unanswered prayers create wounds in our hearts. And sometimes those wounds don't let us to see the bigger picture of God's faithfulness. That He's working in the midst of it, no matter how hard it would be. And sometimes it's not easy to... Sometimes we don't have answers to those questions. But what we do know is that in Jesus Christ, God has given us every spiritual riches, every blessing, He's promised His presence in our lives. He's sealed us with His Spirit. And though this life may be filled with agony, there is hope in glory. So this great story, it proves to us that no one's beyond God's reach. It persuades us to open our mouth. And the last thing it does, it points. It points us to Jesus. It points us to Jesus. It points us in two different ways by way of ancestry and by way of illustration. I love this. In Joshua chapter 6, we'll get to this a few weeks from now, they get into Jericho, they do what God is calling them to do, and Rahab joins the Israelites. And it says that she is with us even to this day. So whenever this was written, Rahab was still among the Jews. And then in Ruth chapter 4, verse 1, you know, I'll go to Matthew 1 first, sorry. In the genealogy of Jesus, it says, And Simon the father of Boaz by Rahab. So evidently, Rahab married someone by the name of Salmon and gave birth to a man by the name of Boaz. And in the book of Ruth, Boaz gives birth, uh, his wife gives birth to a man named Obed and then to Jesse, who is the father of King David. Rahab is the great-great-great-grandmother of King David. And David, out of his line would come the Messiah, the Savior of the world, Jesus Christ. And through Rahab, this unlikely hero, Jesus Christ would come to this earth. What a beautiful picture of how the story points to Jesus. But it also points by way of illustration. See, Rahab was a sinner. And she heard about God's power and knew that judgment was coming. And she believed in God. And she would be delivered by taking refuge in the apartment that had the red rope on it. And by illustration, this is our plight as humanity. We are born in sin. and, and And judgment is coming upon us. Because God is a righteous God. And yet God in His mercy has sent Jesus. And when we hear of Him and we believe in Him, we can take shelter in His red blood poured on our behalf. And this is how the story of Rahab's courageous, point, uh, courageous faith points us to Jesus. And some, some of us, we, we need to go back to that. Do you have the hope of eternity? Do you know that you can be forgiven for everything, all the dirt, all the secrets you want to keep behind? God knows them. And He sent Jesus Christ to die on your behalf. And he's calling you, like Rahab, to believe in him. And turn from your sin and embrace him. That's the good news that Jesus offers us. And Rahab made a choice. Her actions screamed at the top of her lungs, saying, God, I'm all in. See, when God comes into our life, he gives us courageous faith. And courageous faith declares that we are sold out for the Lord. And are you ready to say, God, I'm all in? I'm all in living sold out for you. I'm all in cutting out the things in my life that are holding me back. Are you ready today to say, God, I'm all in. Deciding to love people. I'm all in. Opening my mouth. Letting people hear the good news. I have decided to follow Jesus. Though none go with me, I will follow the world behind me, the cross before me, I will follow Him. Are you ready to say that today, God? I'm all in. If you are ready to say that with me, I want you to sing that song with me. The song that says, I have decided to follow Jesus. So would you stand? And if you... Will Want to profess with your mouth that, God, I know I'm frail, I know I'm weak, but I want that courageous faith like Rahab. God, I'm all in. Would you sing with me? I have decided... Brother and sister, are you all in? Are you all in? Let's pray. Dear Jesus, I thank you for Rahab. Oh God, I thank you for her. Lord, I know from the bottom of my heart, I confess I want to be like her. And I pray that we all would. Being men of women of faith, who are courageous, God, believing you, God, willing to risk all for you. God, I pray if there are any today here who, who are here at church today, and they come not knowing where to stand with you, Lord. They they don't know if they are forgiven, they don't know if they are your children. I pray today, God, they would decide to follow Jesus and not turn back. If no one else goes with them, that they would still decide to follow. that they put the world behind them and put the cross before them. Where all hope is given. All forgiveness and life. Do this work, God, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.